This week's episode is brought to you by the lovely people over at Patchworks Seattle. They have a new location in the Wallingford area on Stone Way. The uh, address is in the show description. It's such a cool new showroom. So if you're in the Seattle area, go check it out. If you're not in the Seattle area, go ahead and head over to patchworks.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com for all your synthesizer needs. I just got an MPC-1 there, and I'm very excited about it. I'm also very excited about all the cool stuff that's happening over at After Later Audio, including that Benjolin V2 and the expanders for it. I'm uh, working on a, a pretty comprehensive video of that. Um, so be on the lookout for that. But if you're uh, if you're curious about what they're doing over there at After Later, head to AfterLaterAudio.com. And once again, thank you to Needham Woodworks for their continued support of the show. You can visit them at NeedhamWoodworks.com. So this track is something I made at the ocean a few months back. I played a melodica into the R-Bar microphone and processed it through all sorts of crazy modular effects. There is a video of it on YouTube with a bunch of sea lions in it. Uh, which was really cool to see a bunch of sea lions swimming around. Um, yeah, I would love it if you'd check it out. I think that's about all I got to say at the opening. This is a good episode. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held and I'm very excited to bring you this conversation I had with Kasim Nakvi. I've been a huge fan since I uh, was made aware of the band Dawn of Midi in which he played drums. Um, one of the best live performances I've ever seen and then I followed, uh, I followed what he was up to over the, the next few years and was delighted to find out that he made a, uh, his journey into modular. But Kasim is much more than just a modular artist and drummer, as you'll find out in this uh, conversation. Kind of a renaissance artist, musician, does a lot of stuff, film soundtracks. Uh, a recent re-release of an album that he made with a busted-up Minimoog. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about all of that. Um, but first, there's a few things I would like to chat at you about. And the first thing is, I would like to uh, thank uh, thank this week's guest, Mr. Nakvi, for sending in not one, but two patch challenges. And uh, rather than choose between them, I figured I'd use one for uh, my, my intro music. So yes, thank you. This is great. I think this is the first time I've been sent two separate patch challenges. I think I've been sent two versions of the same patch, but never two different patches. So this is this is pretty cool. Okay, first order of business. Um, I'm throwing a show in South Park neighborhood of Seattle. I think I'm going to call it the South Seattle Synth Explosion. Okay, that's a working title. Um, but anyways, it's going to be September 4th, and it's going to be from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., and it's going to be um, all ages, but there will be wristbands for a bar, uh, 18 and under get in free. I'm trying to figure out uh, some sort of raffle or synth giveaway situation. Um yeah, don't have a lot of details at the moment because I'm currently fleshing it out, but I do want to start promoting it. So if you're in Seattle, mark your calendars for September 4th. We're going to have uh, hopefully some talks 
and then um, definitely some live performances. Second order of business, I would like to say thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. It means a lot. You help keep this show going in its current capacity. I could not do this show without you, so uh, my sincerest thanks. And uh, thank you to everybody who has supported me in the past and uh, no longer does. Um, To you, all I have to say is why don't you go and pat yourself on the back for doing something really good. You don't have to be a patron forever, you know? It's just you come on, you help, and then you pass the torch. So if you're feeling like it's your turn to grab the baton and, you know, make make a couple laps around the old... I've lost this metaphor, but if you would like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podular Modcast, please visit patreon.com forward slash podular modcast and on the subject of patreon i try to do cool exclusive content early episode access and bonus episodes and i haven't done a bonus episode since i've been back from new york and uh i'm very sorry for that i'm going to get on that uh, I've been playing catch up since I've got back. Um, my the whole nature of my professional life is kind of uh, it's it's peaks and valleys, and right now I'm at a peak of busyness. So uh, yeah, you guys didn't come here for excuses. Thank you if you support me on the show uh, or on Patreon. If you sh- support the show on Patreon, that's what I meant to say. This intro is is uh, getting p- pretty pretty blathery, so I'm going to stop. Let's get into this chat. Before we do, let's just let's listen to the rest of this patch uh, because I think it's really cool. Um, yeah, thank you so much for giving me your time. I know you've, like you just said, you've you just finished a big project, and now it's family time. So yeah, I appreciate us getting together. My pleasure. It's uh, th- thanks for having me. Yeah, I I have to say, man, this is really cool because um, I got into Dawn of Midi a long time ago, and I saw you guys play with. 10 tricks in Seattle like in like 2014 mm-hmm. and it was like one of the greatest performances I've ever seen you guys just blew me away it was so awesome and then I uh, 
I, I kind of kept up with with what you were doing with like NNA tapes and stuff, and I saw then I I don't know how I stumbled upon finding out you were into modular, but I was just like so stoked to see that you were, you were doing modular stuff. So I'm I'm really excited to uh, to have this chat. Cool, yeah, yeah. I mean, the modular stuff came um, a lot later. Actually, it it sort of came into being when the Donna Midi sort of touring stuff was the life cycle of that record was kind of like coming to uh to an end sort of slowly and okay you know okay <clears throat> that makes sense i mean i mean so i was listening you know i was listening to your music and then i was listening to um the the don and midi record again just in prep for this just to kind of you know get myself in the headspace um and i was wondering if because you guys haven't made a record in a while and i was wondering if maybe it was so like that that record is it's such a unique you guys are all so locked in that must have taken so much time to perfect and then to go out and play you guys pretty much just played the record on tour so you're playing that record like night after night right like did yeah. you guys just kind of like burn out on that like whole process or maybe not burn out but like need to switch gears for a while or yeah, I think that we, <laughs> I think that we, I think that we burned out on that record when we started, like after we recorded it, <laughs> yeah. and then you know we, I mean, I, I that's partly in jest, you know, I mean, because we we proceeded to like, you know, we we toured that record for almost like five five and a half years or something. It it had a mm -hmm. really long mm -hmm. life cycle, um, but. Um, I think that the more we played it actually over over time the more <clears throat> the more fluid it became and the more kind of unconsciously we could play it and that actually mm -hmm. made the experience a lot a lot more pleasurable so I okay. think if anything like the the longer we played it um the the less tense kind of the dynamics were with right you know, I could um, see that yeah, because it's like it's meditative. It's it's supremely complex, and the way you guys could swing, like just turn one f groove, like with just like on a dime, all of a sudden you're in different groove territory. And like mm -hmm. as a listener, you're like, how I don't understand how they did that because it seems like it's the same thing happening, but it's clearly different. Something different's happening. Yeah. And so for you to say that, because I imagine at first that was took a lot of bandwidth mentally a lot of focus but if you get into a point where you're doing that kind of stuff fluidly i imagine it becomes like almost meditative or something yeah yeah no it's true i mean it did it took it took more bandwidth than my mind had you know and so <laughs> <laughs> some things had to be I, right right <laughs> modified um but it was very intense. I mean, you know, it's uh, because with dysnomia is uh, not, none of it's improvised. It's it's a completely worked out, continuous, you mm -hmm. know, piece of music. Um, but you know, because we were inspired by these pretty old um, oral musical traditions uh, from mm -hmm. from uh, places like Ghana, Awey music traditions, and from uh, <clears throat> Morocco and North Africa. Which is where our pianist is from, uh, and mm -hmm. you know most of actually that record was his sort of idea, his his concept, and uh, so all that stuff the music is learned. It's none of it's written down. It's it's all taught orally. So we we decided to use that approach. It you know respect that approach, and um, so yeah, it was crazy. We rehearsed. It was like four days a week for about a year and a half. 
Yeah. yeah I, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's one of my favorite records of all time. I think it's, I think it's just a brilliant, brilliant, like piece. I know that you guys broke up the tracks, but it really is just a piece of, of music. Um, and I, I don't want to, to stick on this too long. Cause I definitely want to get into modular stuff. Sure. Um, but I just, I, I think I heard you guys on God, was it, maybe it was like radio lab or something like a really like around when the album came out and you guys said that you guys rehearsed it in the like pitch black studio. <laughs> Is that right? You guys like played with no lights on or something while you were writing it or something like that? Um, no, we didn't act. I'm just making sure this thing's yeah, it's recording. Um, it's funny. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit ashamed to say this, but like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I actually don't like at the moment own any microphones <laughs> even though i make electronic music it's like right right no, no every, everything is like goes direct into you know so i'm like making sure the mic levels are fine and you know like for broadcast and whatnot but uh yeah i mean you know so with that uh we actually didn't rehearse dysnomia in the dark but that's when we first formed we we all met uh when we were in school at cal arts and um <clears throat> before dysnomia we were actually uh we just played completely free music, like freely improvised, mm-hmm. purely you know acoustic piano trio. Um, and there's actually an album that we that we have. It's our first album. It's called First, um, and I would recommend checking it out because it's very different than Dysnomia. Um, okay. But I I have a I have a fondness for it because it's uh it is also a very unique and singular kind of thing and it's a language that we developed in that area um but it was through this yeah this this approach of rehearsing in these in these pitch black rooms that had absolutely no light source whatsoever there was no light coming in from under the door like when your eyes adjusted to the darkness you still really couldn't see like Mm -hmm seven inches in front of you you know so right we just relied entirely on the on our one sense of of hearing yeah and uh yeah it was it was kind of a special thing that we did i feel like that would have really like sharpened your drumming skills you know like drums seem like the most difficult thing to play in the dark because <laughs> there's so many places to go you know yeah i mean you but, know there were times where i would uh you know like they would turn the lights on and like i realized that my body was positioned in a totally different oh, way weird. like you know i had like moved uh-huh. like you know i was like my legs were between the floor tom instead of the snare drum you know uh-huh. and like space like my sense of uh, of space visualization was uh completely compromised you know so uh yeah um and yeah you would really uh we could only really rely on our ears uh, and not our, our sight, you know, at all. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds like a, like a, like something that could like borderline on a psychedelic or like even like spiritual thing. If one, like when you're really locked in the groove and like almost like a, like a, like one of those float tanks or something, but like interactive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, those deprivation tanks where after Sometime you just hear the sort of electrical, uh, mm-hmm. m- the movement of like electricity through your body, and uh, you know we didn't get that far. <laughs> <laughs> you guys you know, didn't but, get the, reach the astral plane. <laughs> no, not not quite. But you know it was fun. It was a good. It was a good exercise, and 
Yeah, it really honed our, our listening, and it just made the music all about a deep, patient kind of kind of listening versus a more uh, kind of like bombastic sort of approach to to free playing. That's like more mm-hmm. based on just like throwing energy out and have it sort of bombard with your other bandmates. It was right. a lot more space and a lot more patience. I mean, that's why I really like that record because I, uh, yeah, I feel like it it has a vibe that's that's real. Okay, something. cool. And- so the last thing, uh, and then we'll we'll get off the Don and Mitty topic. But um, are you guys planning on doing more stuff? Do you still play together? Or? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I we I play with Amino uh, in some other uh, contexts, um, and Amino lives here with me in Brooklyn. So I, I see him like a couple, you know, once a month, you know, at best. Uh, the bassist is he's living in L.A. and. Um, He's, yeah, we're, it's sort of back to what you said earlier, you know, I think that ultimately we did play that piece and we, we kind of got burnt out on it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that we all wanted to just like focus on, on our own kind of solo careers and, uh, Mm -hmm. and also like there, you know, you we can only play that piece for so long. There were, right. Totally. Uh, there, the offers were sort of starting to dry up, and uh, and also because Dysnomia, that that record was such a, it was a really like a monumental sort of undertaking, um, and in, and in some ways it it sort of like took our relationship and our and our friendship with each other, or if I can only speak for myself, I guess, but and generalize about my other <laughs> bandmates mm-hmm. but you know it's just like it, it took things to to uh to the edge um i could see that yeah for the betterment of the of this crazy kind of this this musical idea and uh and it's a little i think um daunting to to re-inhabit that space to to make something yeah. that's like as good or if not better than than dysnomia and uh i think the thought of of trying that again is kind of uh scary you know and yeah absolutely uh, yeah maybe we'll do something you know the band still exists you know we actually just got offered to like we're like if uh, last month we got offered to uh to go on the road with um big thief oh cool and to do like a whole like south like texas all the way up to new york tour um, uh-huh. and we were going to do it, you know, but the, the, unfortunately the, the money, it didn't make financial sense, you know? So that's the thing, like Don and Midi, it's, it's sort of like we are, we're a piece of music. Yeah. We, we are dysnomia. So if someone wants to hear dysnomia and it's like makes fin- financial sense to do it, then it's like, we we're the only ones who know how to play it. So we'll get on a plane yeah. and <laughs> we'll go to your kids, you know, bar or whatever. And like, right. <laughs> You know, play play dysnomia, you know, or uh-huh. um, so that's sort of how the band exists at the moment, and you know, we'll see, like you know, and maybe in a couple of years we'll we'll want to like do something new. But. Yeah, well, I think that's really fascinating, and almost kind of like, I mean, not to like get too like precious or grandiose about it, but I feel like it it adds like a lore to it or something that you know and and i was i was listening to it and thinking about it like because i've been in bands and know how much just emotional energy it takes to maintain 
the 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 friendship work work relationship that's you know and then add touring on that and then just how what like what a monumental piece of music dysnomia is i was thinking to myself as as the years went by and i was looking like are they going to release a new album i was kind of thinking to myself because i'd kept up with what you were doing yeah i was like it kind it kind of speaks for itself and it and it's kind of weird to be like i'm not that bummed I mean, if, if if you guys announced the new album, I'd be I'd be really excited to hear it. But it's all there's something that kind of makes it more special by like you saying like we are the piece of music. Like that's it's an interesting concept that you don't really hear about too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I have certain sort of complicated feelings about it because you know some part of me wishes that we weren't you know a piece of music that like right. we were. Uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting because it, it is dysnomia. It is like a, it's a it's a very beautiful, truly singular piece of music. Um, and I think from an odd. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's just it's just a very it, it's a very challenging uh, mind space to inhabit when you play that. Definitely. piece. And like, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times when I've played it, you know, because my role as a drummer was already so uh sort of different from what i'm accustomed accustomed to as a drummer like i didn't have any cymbals i was like hitting these you know the shell of the kick drum with a vibraphone Mm. mallet you know all these sort of like these uh comforting like idiosyncratic sort of approaches where you know you can like where you feel like you're laying into the drums as a drummer that i grew Mm -hmm. up with you know, a lot of that was completely stripped away from my uh, uh, my thinking, you know, right, for the betterment right. of this piece. And so, like, you know, a lot of times when that we were playing it, it like I sometimes just didn't really feel like I was it, it felt more like a kind of spiritual chess game or something. Yeah, you know, and like, I could see that. Yeah. Um, so I forget what what. Your, what question brought this up but um but yeah you know, <laughs> me, too. me too me <laughs> too that's the well know. to to kind of like segue into your other music i i was also wondering is like okay so you're you've 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 have a very specialized toolkit for dysnomia that takes away some of the things that are you know part of you like that you like in your regular toolkit yeah um so that's i, I don't want to say like a you're not like uh, at a disadvantage there, but you clearly like to write music outside of drums. Like preamble is mm-hmm. like, it's just like beautiful music. And so, uh, yeah, it's like, it makes sense that you'd want to, you have a lot more to say, I feel like as an artist than just what you can do on the drums. That seems very clear to me. Yeah. And I've, I've always been, um, yeah, I've, I've always been interested in, um, in writing music and having a solo uh, career as a, as a solo artist. And, uh, and that, yeah, that's another kind of thing. I think that other bands have things that other bands have experienced where, you know, like if someone in the band sort of has other things that they'd like to do outside of just the band, it, it creates a kind of, uh, tension or, uh, definitely. Um, there was a bit of that, you know, um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, if, yeah, I, I've, I've always been interested in things beyond just, just being a drummer. Even when I, the, when I first started playing drums, I've always was like, all right, this is, I'd like to 
write music for a band as well. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, just kind of going back, like when, when did music kind of infiltrate you? uh, Like, when did you transition from a listener to participant? Like, was there, was there a certain piece of music when you were a kid that was just like, this is the thing? Uh, You know, I think for me, it was an an interaction I had when I was pretty young, uh, at around the age of 12. And, um, you know, I had no real interest in music. but, you know, I was in school and I was like walking through my hallway and uh, I heard somebody playing drums in the band room and uh, I was totally transfixed and I was like, what the, f-? you know, I'd never heard anything as amazing as that in my school uh-huh. or in, in my life, you know, right, so, right. <laughs> so I was just kind of like followed the sound and I like poked my head in the band room and this, you know, this young woman in her early 20s was just sitting behind the drums and uh it was almost like a like a love at first sight type of you know situation and um and i walked in i introduced myself and you know she was it turned out that she was the the new teacher the new band teacher uh at her school and um i immediately signed up for band uh and she she's an incredible musician and she was like a, a real mentor to me you know from like the age of 12 until i've finished high school and she oh that's awesome she taught me how to play the drums and she got me into music got me thinking really seriously about music uh and then i I also have two older brothers um who are both really into music and uh one of my brothers at when i was in middle school he was a student at nyu in the in the early 90s which uh at that time was this like the downtown music scene was this incredible force um Mm-hmm. and uh, through the club, the Knitting Factory on Houston Street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I used to visit him all the time and like he, you know, gave me his college ID and like I, I went and snuck in and saw like uh, Joey Barron and Masada, John Zorin, Modesky Martin and Wood, Elliot okay. Sharp uh-huh. and, you know, like all this amazing experimental music, you know, when I was around the age of 15 to the age of 18. Um, so that whole situation really opened up my mind to, to music and experimental music. Um, okay. So yeah, other things too. All right. Know, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, having those older influences or paired with like a mentor, like with music or whatever it is that you're doing, is just, it's so important for the development of a young artist, I think. And, I just love hearing these stories because, you know, what if you, what if you had a cold that day that you heard the drums in, you know, I think about stuff <laughs> yeah, like totally. that, you know, like, it's just like these, these one little things that, again, you know, like, would we be having this conversation? Like, that's just, sometimes I like actually will spin into like, kind of like an anxiety loop of thinking like, what if I didn't, you know, go to this place? And it's like, well, that's pointless to think about. <laughs> yeah. But it is, I just love hearing those stories, you know, cause I had, I had those same, you know, there's, there's these, there's these people along the way that help you as a, as a youngster and, and give you that, you know, they, 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 they key you in on what's cool. You know, I just, uh, my, my best friend's older sister, she, you know, she got me into like punk rock and, uh, you know, yeah, it basically was punk rock. She pulled me out of like the, the shitty 19 late nineties alternative MTV rock and metal and kind of turned me like, no, check this shit out. And that mm-hmm. had that not happened, you know, like, I don't know 
where I would have ended up musical taste wise because I lived in a t- small town, you know. So yeah. you, it's good to have mm-hmm. these older people kind of showing you the way. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I also grew up in a very small town, and yeah, before I could get into any of that sort of popular music like grunge and all like that sort of um you know the music that uh we sort of turned to to channel that angst you know like Mm -hmm, my brothers mm -hmm. were like you know listen to this type of angst you know so it was like late like electric miles and like you know a naked city and all this like crazy abrasive like experimental <laughs> kind of music uh-huh. that was <laughs> instrumental you know it was instrumental wordless music and uh that yeah so that was the some other tributary that kind of like yeah helped things were you in california or new york when you were like growing up so i was born and raised in litchfield county connecticut which is oh okay okay you know it's a very small a rural farm town about an hour and a half from New York City. Um, okay. It was a, yeah, an, an incredibly beautiful, uh, it is rather, um, yeah, just a true, true wilderness. Yeah. And a very peaceful place to grow up as, as a kid. Yeah. And now I love that because I, I mean, I'm in Seattle, so it's not, it's nothing like New York City, but like I'm very thankful to have that, to be in touch with that kind of small town rural nature thing but then also i'm i'm like i have friends that never left the small town who get nervous to come to seattle yeah they don't want to you know it's like the big city and it's just i'm glad that whatever happened in my life let me led me to where i can enjoy enjoy the boons of both really yeah totally yeah um it was uh yeah it was it was a relief I'm I'm very thankful for my parents to for for moving to this place because it's really it was like a to, like middle of nowhere you know like yeah. the population of about maybe 1,100 people. Okay. Um, yeah. But just extraordinarily beautiful in um, in its landscape and uh, you know we grew up in this weird like 80s split level house up on a hill and you know we had five acres of woods. Oh, nice. You know, nice. Yeah. Bears and like, you know, deer and bobcats and uh-huh. all that sort of stuff. So I think that that was, you know, I think that being growing up in that environment definitely helped center me in terms of like when I got into music, uh, you know, at the age of 12 or whatever, it like, I think helped focus me. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think also growing up in a town like, like, because my town was about the same size. My graduating class was like 84 kids. And we all went to school together, K through 12. So, you know, we all, it's just, there's, there's not a lot going on. So having music was such a, it was just like the pillar of my existence. You know, I had the posters on the wall, played guitar. It was just like, it was my, and still to this day, just like, it's, it's like, it's all consuming. Like, you know, it evolves in how it is in my brain, like what, what kind of music I'm into or listening to or making. But, um, do, how, do you feel like being in the, like the small town, like there's just not a lot of options outside of nature for me, it was nature and music, you know, mm-hmm. do you feel like that contributed to that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was, it, it was an interesting place because it was close enough to New York where if we wanted right. to go and like see some crazy shit, we could <laughs> get, yeah, yeah. get on I eighty four, and you know, so it was 
so it was it was the best of of a lot of a lot of things um mm-hmm. and you know i grew up i think i was really probably the, our family was the only family of of color or mm-hmm. one of the two families of color in like our whole town you know and like my middle my high my whole school experience i was like one of like a handful of you know people of color and but fortunately people were really cool you know and it wasn't like a mm-hmm. it wasn't like a thing i know was never ostracized i was always i was always welcomed and not seen as some uh you know whatever like a outsider or uh, a threat yeah you know, yeah um, so yeah it was, so we had the same kind of situation where um you know there was I think there were, you know, maybe three people of color in my in my school, and one of my best friends, Louis, um, a Mexican kid, and it's funny to look back. I, I we, he he was our friend and everything, but you know, like we had like Mexican nicknames for him, and like we all joked about it, and he was in on the joke, but like later on, it I, you, know, you kind of look back and you're like. Yeah, he may have been in on the joke, but I don't know how fun that really was for him and stuff. It's I don't. I, did you experience anything like that? Like, like in hindsight, kind of. I suppose yeah. Like in this in this climate of, um, you know, of like of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose some things would have been. Uh, kind of insulting or you know what I yeah but I at the same time like I, I yeah I never really experienced any any kind of extreme forms of racism you know like my name was like really hard to pronounce you know so people would just like people would call me Quasar or, yeah, or, yeah. or Quasimodo right or you know um, but there was never any uh, no one ever made fun of the fact that I'm I'm a Muslim or that uh, I have dark skin or um, there were there were never any culture like racial uh, you know negative uh, terms thrown thrown in my direction which is rare that's good I, I, I wonder if like yeah I wonder if the proximity to New York City helped with that just because it's yeah. just like so it's just every everybody's there you know yeah you know and at the time it was like it's a, it was a small like liberal like uh, country town in Connecticut you know, mm-hmm. like um, it's funny actually. The that I don't know if you watched that. There's that documentary about uh, Woody Allen and, and Mia Farrow. Um, ah. That was so. They that's that whole thing happened in the town I grew up in. Oh no um, shit! Oh wow. She okay. she lives there. Uh, all of her children. Uh, I've there was a time when uh, we all sort of hung out in like a like a Dave camp in our town and uh, you oh know, wow. So, um, so yeah, it like it, it was a weird mixture of like farm people, blue collar sort of people, and then but also people who had like vacation homes uh-huh, from New uh-huh. York, you know, who'd come on the weekends and so. But it all was sort sort of harmonious in a, in a weird way. Uh, I don't know what it's like now, but because my family doesn't live there anymore. But um, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you ever went back, like, or like, do you go there for? vacation or go there for like a long weekend or anything like that uh not as much but actually when my wife and i were going to take our kid yeah this uh in about in uh, about a week actually we've we rented this like an airbnb on this like 44 acre 
uh, estate. Oh, nice. Uh, like a carriage, nice. carriage house, and they have like a beautiful pool. Uh, and it's close to all of these swimming swimming holes and ponds and oh, stuff nice. like that. So, so yeah, we're going to... That'll be awesome. Yeah, it'll be fun, yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I take my wife back to the town I grew up in, but unfortunately... That, um, this is where our, our, our similarities diverge here in, as far as small town goes. It's with, with uh, Washington State, once you leave Seattle, you kind of enter Trump country. So Yes. Yeah. It's, that's, uh... Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Actually, we're having like we call it we call it boys weekend because my friends from, you know, they were my whole wedding party when I got married. They, you know, we were friends from some of us before kindergarten, you know, and we're still friends. But as we've grown up and moved the people who stayed it, things are a little tense and you know after after trump and then um george floyd and covid mm-hmm. and all the just all the misinformation and stuff i think i'm actually gonna i'm gonna not go this this time mm-hmm. and just let all this stuff kind of breathe because we're we're on just such different pages and it, it sucks because if they heard me saying this they'd be like you know you liberal like letting politics like politics shouldn't come in the way of friendship, but like w- sometimes when you find out that people believe certain things, like it's really hard to look past it, you know? Yeah. If they, you know, like uh, it's akin to being like, of course the world is flat. Right. You know? yeah. It's like, okay, it's, well I'll see you yeah. next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, yeah, right. I'll see you at the, <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'll, um... <laughs> at this point, I think I'd rather have the flat because the, at least that doesn't like, imp- like have some like deeply seated, like hate, hateful shit in it. But yeah, um... yeah, no, that's true. Uh, <laughs> but it's that same level of, well, I don't want to, I, I can't, I, I don't want to like, um, get get too malicious about about the other side and and their thinking but uh yeah it's it's crazy yeah it's interesting that there's that correlation you know between uh places of extreme natural beauty in this country and uh yeah like a um a connection to this this kind of extreme like it's like insular uh sort of thinking you know yeah like Mm -hmm. they're they're afraid of the outside uh um what's the word there's like a term for it which i can't i can't really think of but um uh, ex- uh ethnocentrism or you know like uh, something or uh like an ex- is, like yeah. an exclusion i i can't that's like a, i don't want to uh i don't want to waste your time trying to <laughs> pick pick through the caverns I know what you're of memory. saying though yeah right. isolationist like an there's a like an isolationism mm-hmm. that's the word you know of just like of um but and also there's this uh, there's a lot of problems with uh, there are a lot of problems with uh, with uh, drugs and, and opioid addiction mm-hmm. in, in a lot of these meth is big yeah because you know, there's nothing to do and people are so bored exactly. you know like my friend who's from Kentucky it's like this it's like it's like a raging wildfire of you know and it was actually a problem where I grew up too people were like after I had left which I was shocked to hear like there was like a heroin f- problem and because uh, people are bored you know so yeah uh, but yeah I don't know. <clears throat> yeah meth was meth was bubbling up like right as I was graduating and, and left my town mm-hmm. and people that I you know grew up with and went to school with like some of them I would say like they're still alive but they lost their lives to it you know um, 
but but kind of some of this to get on a little bit lighter note i'm wondering like so when we say there's nothing to do for us it was like music did you like a lot of bonfires a lot of driving down country roads and smoking weed like oh, that yeah. kind of stuff absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean you know it was great because you know we had these epic winters mm-hmm. where it snowed a lot and like you know we had these uh f- yeah it was um there was a lot of like a lot of really really fun uh outdoor like hanging and a lot of outdoor activity and uh mm-hmm. um yeah yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm so thankful for that. I, now I bring my wife to those roads that we drove up, and we go camping up there and stuff. And it's just I'm, I feel really lucky to have had that appreciation installed in me at a young age, mm-hmm. and and have access it because like it's it's not New York, but we were the same distance from Seattle, so we we could do all that. But then if we wanted to come see a rock show, you know, we could come over and, and check stuff out at Seattle. So it, yeah, I. I I really, uh, I really relate to you on that level. I think, yeah. I think it's a really cool way to to come up. I do sometimes feel pretty jealous of kids that grew up in like Brooklyn, who, you know, it's like, okay, you 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 had a head start on the cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like a lot of kids. I mean, I think that you know, kids, younger kids of this generation are um, a lot more advanced and a lot more. Um, aware and sensitive than maybe we were when mm-hmm. when we were their age um but when i was a, when i was a kid growing up in in connecticut uh the kids that i knew who were growing up in new york were pretty me- pretty messed up yeah. <laughs> in the early yeah. in the late eight, like early 90s like you know yeah yeah like a lot of children of like divorce and you know and like cuz my yeah. brother went to this private school in connecticut and like you know a lot of his friends were um you know, they 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 grew up in New York, and like, and I got to hang out with them, and like their, like their situation, and uh, you know, it's right. like that movie, The Ice Storm. You know, it was like something's you know straight out of that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, grass it's, is always greener, I guess. Totally, right? you know, and I mean, even like when I was like seventeen, I've at a certain point, I was like, all right, I want to get the hell out of here. I want to go to New York. I want to, you know, definitely, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned like, as, as things were kind of dying down with, with touring on, uh, dysnomia, that's where modular came in. I'm kind of curious, like, was there a friend who used it? Did you see it at a a show? And like, what was your like first introduction to this very strange and specific instrument? Hmm. Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, so the, I had worked on this project called chronology, which was uh it was this commission where i was asked to collaborate with a with a painter uh for this gallery show okay um and uh the whole point of the project was for us to kind of mirror each other's uh each other's process you know and for the painter he uh he basically makes these huge paintings using just black acrylic paint and uh, a paint scraper okay. as his brush and basically makes these densely kind of layered works you know so i thought all right well what is like the what what is the the equivalent to that and sounds like subtractive or something in terms of process and i was like you know oh like what if i used a, a monophonic synthesizer which is you know it's analog 
there's uh, it's, it's not digital you can't store any settings you can't uh, you can't recall anything you know unless mm -hmm. you do it unless you write things down on a piece of paper right uh, the only way that you can uh, make anything that has density to it is if you lay do it if you record things in layers and kind of so that was so i sort of got my hands on a on a mini moog and um and that was how i sort of made this work and that that was my sort of introduction to electronic music and working with analog uh, hardware um okay and it was very it was very like fulfilling very satisfying for me um and then after that, I was like looking through some of my hard drives and I found this manual for the surge of modular synthesizer. Um, and uh, when I was at CalArts, uh, this uh, Morton Sabotnik uh, was teaching there. He was teaching a class oh, on wow. the surge modular system, which uh, was actually designed at CalArts when Serge mm -hmm. Cherpnin was there. So he taught this he taught this class on how to use it, and I you know I was like thumbing through this manual, and I was coming fresh off of this other the, the chronology project, and I was like, wow, this is like this is like really deep, you know, and so um, so then I bought a, a mother thirty two, okay, and that was my first um, sort of introduction to to modular synthesis, you know. Yeah, if that I don't and know if that answers your question. Uh, totally, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, so did you find like okay, so you get the mother and you're like, this is pretty cool, but I can hook it up to all sorts of other things to like. Did, did you kind of like that explosion <laughs> of like okay, now I want all of the stuff. <laughs> it's weird. It's like it is this. It's like this addiction, you know. <laughs> yeah, never, yeah, it's like trading cards. And now it's like I'm like fuck. I want to buy a mother thirty two again. There's also that like you know. The, <laughs> Dude, totally yes I, I i've come full circle on so many things yeah one time i, I sold something and like within a week i was like oh god i should like buy that back you know like yeah because there's some horrible you know addictive trigger in the brain that uh you know i don't know what it is i I've, i can't put any kind of like logic to what why that you know i guess it's just this yeah. like ever ever infinite sort of expansion of sound and like you know totally uh, mm -hmm. feeling like you can you can create sound in infinitely you know and by amassing more and more sort of stuff but i'm trying to cap my i'm actually i'm i'm uh uh i've reduced my system i mean i've kept all my modules but right now i'm i'm just working with a surge uh system oh cool that, uh, okay is you know it's one oscillator Occasionally, I have a, a second oscillator for two two part sort of writing, um, and it all just fits in my backpack. So I've just been trying to kind Perfect. of scale down, just as an exercise, you know, just to. Yeah, I'm. I've been there. I've been there for a while. I've I've actually got this this battery that I can power my my seven U make noise case with, mm. and I've been just really trying to make that work. I mean, I've got a Needham Woodworks case that's enormous, and I've got three different cases but i i kind of work mostly out of the one because i want to be able to just i brought it to new to new york actually we played a show the same night um that's right yeah you know so so i was like walking around new york with my make noise you know taking it on the mm -hmm. on the subway and stuff like and i and I, there's something that's just so exciting about being able to take it anywhere and 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 especially like being in a band you like 
you probably never want to fucking load like do load in with drums again right like <laughs> even the modular is such a pain in the ass you know <laughs> that's why i'm like that's why I, I slimmed it down to like you know yeah to this uh, to this this one specific system uh that is essentially uh i mean here i'll show well actually weird this is all audio but um you know i basically i had this uh, very special kind of shallow case made and it okay. just fits in i can just like a laptop i can just like slide it into my backpack and perfect uh, you yeah know, with my computer and uh um but yeah you know like it, it the most subtle kind of movements with these knobs it creates such a rippling effect and and i found that like with when you have with too much equipment you kind of lose lose sight of that uh that idea you know that like just by moving one thing very incrementally it it creates this whole rippling effect through the system Mm -hmm. um so i wanted to reacquaint myself with that that feeling again i noticed that about your that's I would say that's your style as a modular musician just by listening to your stuff over the last few weeks you have it seems and, and like I've seen videos of you playing it seems like even you like when you were doing your rack stuff it was a relatively small setup and I get the sense that you use your hands as control voltage more often than actual control voltage sources like you're really good at using space mm-hmm. and finding really really good you know timbres that like they kind of do the heavy lifting like you're really good at using a little to say a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've always wanted to learn how to do. But like, even when I like, you know, I'm just got, I've packed this thing. I've been refining this seven U case. It's just full of so many digital modules and like samplers. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah. you know, listening to your, your stuff, like teenagers, I'm just like, there's so many just like nice, beautiful, you, you reminded me that I can just kind of like, I can relax and have, you know, and have just as much fun and say just as much if I'm relaxed and approach it like delicately, you know, Mm -hmm. thank you. That's, um, that's kind of you to say, um, yeah, I, you know, I think, um, yeah, I've, it, for me, it all boil at the end, it boils down to, um, controlling rhythm and phrasing and, uh, Mm -hmm. and filters those are the two like all the stuff that's being patched like the final sort of destination before it goes out into the ears is this sort of uh this idea this this thinking arrangement of like you know filtration of that of those ideas to Mm -hmm. change Mm -hmm. the color Mm -hmm. and then applying that output to a rhythmic kind of matrix so you know at the end of the day it's like really i'm just sort of messing with two to two or three modules uh and doing Mm -hmm. doing all the fine tuning obviously there are other like i'm going into the main system and and doing changes but um but yeah i don't know if that if that if that makes sense Uh, totally yeah yeah. and i'm i was wondering like with with your pieces and I'd like to like discuss like the difference between the way you approach recording versus live. Is there a difference? Mm-hmm. How much of it is improv? How much is it like as far as like an album? Do you make tracks and or make pieces and um, rehearse them and then record them, or do you just kind of like get to where you're like I like what's happening? I'm just going to hit record and that becomes the the track. Um, 
Well, you know, for me, like what what I like to do is, um, I usually like to write the the piece ahead of time, um, mm-hmm. and then I feed of uh, the composition into the modular system and try to record okay. it uh, live, uh, and then you know I do like as many takes as that feels fresh to me, uh, and then mm-hmm. and then from mm-hmm. there it's like a process of editing together the best sort of uh, sections of the composition that right, I've written right. um, before. I mean, that's, I guess, sort of been my whole approach with the modular is because, from you know, I have to, I come from, I guess, that world of, uh, of writing a piece of music and then presenting that music to a group to mm-hmm. interpret or yeah. writing a piece for a soloist and giving them that piece and then they make it larger than just sort of the notes on the page and so that's how i sort of think of the modular is uh it's an ensemble it's a it's a it's a chamber group of very unusual instruments and i'm writing a Mm -hmm. piece and i'm like presenting that to this group uh i love that uh, yeah that's really that's really interesting and then they make it larger than just the notes on the page they they essentially the modular system it, it, it it orchestrates my material uh, mm-hmm. And then I can sort of act as a conductor, uh, controlling the flow of, of voltage as a ty- as a form of orchestration. You know, um, that's all. Yeah, that's a really nice visual. Um, I don't really improvise like I, with the you know. I mean, I improvise in terms of how things are being colored, and how the inf- mm-hmm. how the information is being interpreted. You know, by the mm-hmm. by the group in quotes. You know, like that's all that right. stuff is happening in real time, but. In terms of like a kind of like I net like I don't improvise like from the ground up, like with okay. that's too crazy. Like I could never do. That. <laughs> do that. Well, that makes sense. Like like in in retrospect, that makes sense when I think about your stuff because I think the mark. I've been trying to figure out like what it is that I like and I don't like about modular music because I listen to I, I get sent a lot. I listen to a lot of it, mm-hmm. and I start to wonder like what is. <clears throat> You know, you you hear a lot of like I can I'm getting to the point where I can start picking out some modules, and I don't think that makes things good or bad. I'm just that's just the facts. I can I can oh that's this module. Hmm. So I I've been finding myself like, okay, well then why do I like this and not this? But they sound kind of similar, and I'm I've been truly trying to figure this out. But as I'm talking to you right now, I think I'm starting. To, I think I've put something together, and what I love about it is is the idea that you can improvise you can start from the ground up but a lot of the times that just kind of sounds like squiggles you know or Mm -hmm. or somebody it's a lot more fun to the person making the music than the person listening Mm -hmm. but if you can get somewhere where it could be either like as a listener this could be improvised but this could be completely planned out I think if you can ride that line, that's a real sweet spot. And I feel like that's where you were at because I was listening to it and I couldn't, I couldn't tell. I wasn't sure one way or the other, whether you had planned this composition or if you were improvising. And I think that's, there's maybe that's a a fine line. to Yeah. Yeah. Totally. No, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, you know, and also like coming from this, from this background as an improviser where it's the same thing. It's like someone writes a piece of music, uh, and a group interprets that music in an improvised context, and it becomes, um, you know, wildly sort of interpreted. You know, like mm-hmm. the way that that music is is interpreted is it's like completely stretched out into something completely different, completely different mm-hmm. from what you were expecting. 
mm-hmm. uh, and that's been a big part of my um, my musical upbringing. That yeah. expectation that the music that you write is going to be completely deconstructed, and like the the group that you're playing with, presenting it to, they're going to breathe their own life into it in a very potentially kind of like dynamic, you know, way. And and that's again, that's what I like about the modular is that you know you can achieve these very dynamic uh, kind of changes through incredibly subtle. Uh, shifts mm-hmm. it change in one very small parameter and how modular uh, module behaves um will send this beautiful rippling effect throughout mm-hmm. uh, the system and then you can you know just sit and listen to to that it's weird it's also like modular is, it's also like this it's a it's a being it's like this thing that yeah. has energy flowing through it a life form and you're controlling how and the uh, it's it's life force is, is moving and you know it's yeah it's, it plays with you kind of in a way like absolutely yeah yeah i think that that too like the way you just talked about approaching it as like writing a piece for these improvisers and being, you know, no, having no concrete expectation of how you want it to go, like allowing for it to kind of take on its own life is just such a more peaceful way of approaching, you know, ultimately just doing something that you're, you're, you like doing, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're not going into it. You're not setting yourself up for as much frustration or disappointment, not to say that you don't find that in modular, but I do, I do kind of like, you do have to like, there's a level of letting go of complete control. Yeah. That's kind of freeing and nice about it. Yeah. I mean, what's the point? And then you should, you know, then it, it doesn't, there's no distinction between that and just using a computer, you know, like if, if you want something yeah. that's very exact and I mean, that's the one thing I, I personally like, I don't really listen to, uh, to any modular <laughs> yeah. music or I, I mean I listen to the old stuff you know like the Feldman mm-hmm. and uh, Susan Chiani and uh, uh, I'm totally spacing on her name uh, but uh, a Spiegel? lot of yeah yeah exactly like a lot of the early like when they were using the ARP 2600 and the Surge mm-hmm. and the Bukla um, you know because like again, it was not, it wasn't limitless. You know, they were recording to tape and to create yeah. very dense layered works. It required so much effort, and like you could you could hear that in the in the final product. And uh, um, but yeah, you know, like when I listen to some things, and it's just like you know, a dude, he's just playing like house music, you know, on a modular, <laughs> yeah. and where everything is there. That, that's another kind of issue i have is this idea of of time and how time is divided in in modular systems Mm -hmm. you know where the people are they're using sequencers and this kind of equal division of time uh and as a drummer it's just something that i don't i'm not really that into um yeah I, I I don't have I don't have a sequencer in my main system right now. I have I, I did put grids in there because it kind of like will just like make stuff and it's fun to to like just kind of roll the dice on some rhythmic sequencing. But typically I yeah I don't really I'm the same way. I like I like to like let I rarely sync delays with each other. You know I mm-hmm. I just like to tune it by ear and and see where where it goes. Um, but speaking of delays and stuff, I feel like you don't rely a whole lot on effects. 
No. Like, yeah. Do you just do like a, a stair? Do you just do like a bus to a reverb? Yeah. Um, it just goes to my computer and then I have like a, just a reverb, uh, you know. And then if I'm like the composition, the MIDI uh, data, the notes, uh, that that's mm -hmm. coming from the computer, you know, going into a, a MIDI to CV converter, uh, almost like the MIDI is the piano roll. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, and, yeah. And the okay. modular is the piano. Um, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, all the... Um, I have... Uh, in terms of EQing, um, I was using this the Surge Resonant EQ, um, uh -huh. which is it's basically a 10-band fixed... 10-band uh, EQ. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Uh but uh, each band is tuned in sevenths instead of uh, octaves. Okay. So I guess which it it more closely uh, reflects the way that acoustic instruments uh, behave, um, and uh, and it it, okay. it, it self resonates uh, past a certain um, uh, certain peak, the bands start to uh, self oscillate. Uh, so it just okay. does all this crazy stuff. So I yeah I like to use a lot of analog of modules and of you know. Um, I have a couple of uh, digital uh, wavetable LFOs, which I mm -hmm. think are really beautiful. Um, and I'm sort of, I feel like I'm cheating there because you don't really hear LFOs, you know, so right, right. <laughs> they're just, <laughs> you know, they're like the utility, they're the HR uh, department <laughs> of the... <laughs> Of the modular system, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't see their faces. You don't, you know. Uh huh. They're just like they they eat lunch. They funny. eat lunch by themselves. Um, yeah. But uh, so yeah, like certain utility modules are are digital. Like I have that Zayok, uh, that that quad LFO, mm -hmm. or that's yeah. also amazing. Uh, and those are really cool in terms of uh, those in terms of uh, making the the rhythms very elastic because I usually I like to actually create my own rhythmic gates mm -hmm. and I have to feed that and then I use the LFOs to, to disrupt uh, those patterns that uh, that I've okay. create, created in advance as gates nice yeah yeah, yeah I, I've been I've been messing a lot around a lot with um, creating gates just with envelope followers off of like audio information from a sample mm, yes. which if it's if it's not like a four on the floor audio sample you get weird somewhat in time but like kind of sporadically produced gates that, that i then feed into other trigger slope generators with that and then use the end of rise out of that you know like to create these weird triggering events that's really that's cool it creates yeah. this kind of cascade of weird stuff that's kind of in, it all makes sense to your ear but it's not in like the same time yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, because it, it's yeah. it's it's like catching as much information as it can in terms mm -hmm. of the the shape of the the envelope and uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have that. I have that uh, cold Mac. Is it cool to like mm. geek? I mean, I guess this is the point. <laughs> right oh, dude, to totally. Okay. People, I have people tell me all the time, like, talk more about modules. <laughs> you know, because uh, envelope following is something that uh, I'd like to get into more. And, you know, like I've, you know, I have the cold Mac uh, utility module that does that. And mm -hmm. uh, um, I was trying to do that where I was like, I would sing like really crazy rhythmic uh, sort of things. Uh, record them on my phone uh -huh. and then feed that into the cold Mac and have that be envelope followed. Um, but it, 
it just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't uh, mirror that with any degree of precision, you know. So, it, um, but I'm new to that um, actually. The, I'm new to that. I have a thing. I have a recommendation for you. Um, Please. The the four MS um, percussion interface and interface expander, um, they come together. So I don't. I'm not sure why they made them expansions because they're both like four HP. Um, but down. there's a quarter inch. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I'll, I'll uh, yeah, I'll send you a link. Um, but there's a uh, there's a quarter inch jack on the expander. So what it is is um, there's the there's the volume input and then there's the gain, or there, there's a volume input. There's a sensitivity for that. There's the gate output, and then there's a, a positive and negative envelope out. And you can you can set the sustain and release for the envelope out, and then the expander um, adds two more of those uh, positive and negative outs that each have their own um, attenuator on them. Okay. And that one has the quarter inch input, so you yeah. could use an actual microphone to trigger it. Okay. So it's it's super useful. I I use so I I use the sampler straight into that, and then that's kind of I use my actual audio sample as the clock for the whole for a whole patch typically that's really cool yeah please send me a link because yeah i mean i was using the um the mutable instruments one the uh, ears or whatever it's called uh which is oh right yeah more that's not really an envelope follower that's just like a gate yeah i don't know what it yeah. is i mean it's like uh yeah um oh i should also say that this this the interface it's uh you can make it an envelope generator or follower with a flip of a switch so this is like specifically made for what you're talking about and i think it's like a lot of stuff does have envelope follower like you could use a maths as an envelope follower but it it doesn't this is like really super very well it's it's made for drummers to like be able to sync their i think that was the original idea because they call it the percussion interface yeah um but it was made for drummers to be able to play drums with their modular synth. So. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, because you know, I just it saves so much time versus if I can just sing my rhythms uh, versus mm-hmm. programming everything. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. In MIDI, um, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Thanks for that tip. Speaking of the, the singing thing, uh, there's is it Br- Brutal Moderna? Is that the name of it or something? Something Moderna. Yeah, Brutal Brutal um, Moderna. Yeah. Uh, that track is so cool. So is that you doing what you're just describing? Like, cause I know there's some like vocals in it. Was that you like, no, no, no that wasn't me. Um, so that, oh, okay. th- that track was, um, has an interesting story. Uh, we went and we, 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 we recorded that, uh, the day of, uh, the general election on 2016, Oh shit! Okay. So uh, and I was in Berlin. Uh, we were in the recording studio, and uh, the news was coming in of Trump's uh, of his of his election victory, and it was like this. This. Now I've never felt more afraid for my life than at that. You know, what, uh-huh. knowing, realizing that if this particular president is being elected, you know, then that that moment, you know, it was like, I was like, you know, this this means something bad, you know? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so I had written this track that was under normal sort of conditions, just this very kind of light bouncy kind of like electronic piece, you know, no vocals intended. Uh, but then I thought, you know, um, why don't I bring in uh, Peter Broderick, who is 
also uh, an erase tapes artist, singer, multi-instrumentalist. Um, I was like, hey man, would you mind uh, singing some, just improvising some stuff over this track, but can you just read all of the news headlines and fragments oh, of news stories? So he was like basically reading, I think a New York Times article about everything that was happening. Uh, and I was just like, do it in a really like fucked up way. And uh -huh. think about the this think about the pulsations of the track you know because there's this like throughout the so like he's his response was like you know you know so and he's just he's just reading like bits and pieces of just like the news you know and and because i i felt like the piece needed to have this is an important time and it had to reflect some of that existential dread you know, so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that gives it a whole new context. I love that track, and Thank I you. know we're we're coming up on an hour, and and I think you have to go do a sound check. No, I don't soon. actually. I, my sound checks. Uh, oh shit! It's two, two, three, four. Uh, I can. I I've got another um, uh, twenty minutes. Okay, cool. That's perfect because I definitely don't want to end without talking about your. Uh, you know, you have an upcoming full length, right, with Mini Moog stuff. Yeah, so that actually back to the much or like what we we're talking about uh, chronology. That record uh, that came out that just came out. Uh, that is, uh, it, it's a re-release. Okay, okay, chronology was that piece that I made for the Moog, uh, for that art for the um, for that uh, art installation the, project. Okay, uh, okay. It came out on New Amsterdam Records in 2016, uh, just as a digital release, and then Erase Tapes, uh, they were gracious enough to re-release -re it, but physically, for the first time. Oh, nice, um, so, nice. Uh, so that's what that album is, and yeah, it has a kind of an interesting backstory, if you want to talk about that, or if you have any okay. questions. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, so that's the one you did with a painter? That's the one the, that the, I did the, with the yeah with the painter where I used a mini okay. a mini moke. I was wondering about that because I know I I I don't I read about that that it, this this new this this upcoming release was was with mini moke and I was like did you go back to it okay so that makes more sense um, yeah I mean did we what did we not cover about that that project is there anything else that you want to <laughs> yeah i mean it's like it was you know basically like so i've i've knew this guy worked at a music shop and uh you know i went and in the back they have this room that's like basically like you know when the um c3po and uh r2 are on that like junk <laughs> that junk freighter <laughs> and they're like all these disemboweled like robots and you know it was like basically that it was like this room that was just like a graveyard of like old equipment and uh and in the corner like you know just covered in garbage and soot was this mini moog that oh my uh, god was just there and i was like you know basically they were it was about to be just scrapped you know they were gonna scrap it for parts and i was like look man you know if let me give you a couple hundred bucks and like let me borrow this thing for a couple of weeks and he was like all right you know drive your car around the back and like you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he put you know put the put this thing in my car and uh i took it home and proceeded to make music with it for about two weeks and uh it was very uh it was truly on its last leg, um, and it was uh, just this broken, temperamental kind of thing that would, you know, it would turn off 
sometimes while I was recording, it would just shut off, shut down. Uh, and it had all these weird, because of how malfunctioning it was, it had all of these idiosyncrasies that uh, perhaps a normal Moog synthesizer wouldn't wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. So in, in some ways, it, it kind of gave me this very special performance of, of itself. Um, and that's basically what this record is. It's like music made on a very, very old, broken machine that was about to die at any moment that sounds like it been is equal like equally frustrating frustrating as it would as it would be like inspiring having all those idiosyncrasies, you know like yeah. weird things about it and i didn't know anything i mean that like i said earlier that that was my introduction to to analog synthesizers was this broken okay broken machine you know so i had no i had no previous knowledge of how moog synthesizer works about analog synthesis or anything you know so this was my introduction to electronic <laughs> music. You know, nice. This, you know. Were you kind of finding it by feel or were you looking up stuff or like, like looking up the manual or anything like that? Sorry, I'm just, yeah, it's okay. This is recording. Um, I, um, yeah, I did. I like, there was like a Moog, like the, the old Moog manual that had these, you know, mm-hmm. presets in the back. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> Which are just like always remind me of like a Pizza Hut menu for some reason, or like just some, <laughs> you know, just check check the topping and we'll you know it's uh-huh. like great. right, right. <laughs> um, I had the similar thing. Uh, somebody just is letting me borrow their plum butter, the Chiat Lombard. Which I don't know if you know anything no, about the, the. It's uh, oh, it's on the table. They're like wooden banana plug standalone synthesizers they're weird as hell and there's it's it's so hard to understand what's going on there's no real manual there's some cheat sheets so yeah i was doing the same thing i was like looking at these cheat sheet like patches and just like patching them and like i had to do that a few times before i figured out how i could maybe make my own patch out of it yeah 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 that's that's what i did you know and yeah like online you know and for me even with the modular stuff most of my education was came from uh, just going on youtube yeah and, you know which is a whole thing you know i guess like it's a whole yeah totally cult. totally uh-huh yeah you watched a div kid video or two i'm sure i'm sure yeah i don't even know I probably <laughs> yeah yeah um, so yeah so that's that that's chronology and uh it's physically it, it just came out and it'll digitally it'll be back out in the world in a couple of weeks and uh but it's nice. very special like it has a very it's really old it, it really does sound like um yeah, like a a machine sputtering down <laughs> to to its end, you know. And uh, yeah, so. nice. Um, I had one more very specific question, yeah. and I I always I always have these like like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like hunches about either tracks or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see if this hunch is right. The the track teenagers. Yes. So it's the last the last track on that album. Um, I feel like are you? It's like, are you trying? Were you trying to like sonically express the experience of being a teenager through like these amazing, awesome sounds, but also like these moments of like out of tune and like trying to figure out being coming a person and kind of weaving in and out of sounding good and bad and because you're like you're you're very intentionally going out of tune and kind of like Hmm. 
I, I don't know. Is, 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 am I on to something there? Uh, you are in the sense that, you know, the, 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 the concept of teenagers is about the adolescence of, the, of this machine that I'd been building over the course of oh, okay. a couple of years, okay. you know. So um, the, the track order is chronological in mm-hmm. terms of, um, you know, me starting with a very small, like just a few modules and then adding and then my understanding of things growing uh, and the music becoming more uh, elaborate and involved. Uh, and then by the time you get to teenagers, that was the fully sort of built sort of system that I had uh, carved out over the course of a couple of years. Um, and the title is is kind of about, you know, how these machines behave and, and how they, um, you know, that like, like, a, like a teenager, they'll they'll rebel or they'll mm-hmm, give you a mm-hmm. certain sort of response based on what you want. That may not be the thing that you asked for. Um, right. <laughs> but this is the, the, this was the sonic equivalent. So it was almost like the, the adolescent adolescence of a piece of machinery. Um, okay. Okay. And, uh, and it's interesting, this whole, this whole thing about things being out of tune, you know, I, Honestly, there I wasn't doing any kind of, of controlling of pitch. It's just mm-hmm. that, um, yeah. The, w- one thing I've noticed with the modular is like when you when you write really like tonal, kind of like melodic sort of music, and when you're using mm-hmm. like uh, analog, certain types of analog oscillators, uh, the pitches start to drift over time. Yeah. You know, so like when you mm-hmm. when you have a lot of like triadic. Uh, kind of writing uh, harmonic kind of writing it's like over time you really you do hear how much things are starting to go out of tune and uh, and I wasn't I, I, there was it just sort of does it on its own and, that, and that's what I uh-huh. that's what I kind of love about it you know um, okay yeah yeah because it sounded angsty and kind of uh, it just reminded I, I just thought it was like a good analogy of like like puberty basically it's like it's like kind of beautiful and awful and just like very writhing and like you yeah, know yeah. like wonder and and like yeah um uh, man i could talk to you all day but i I don't want to take up too much of your time um sure I the mean, last you, thing yeah. we do the last thing we typically do is a patch challenge and this is something that you do on your own time okay and you're you don't have to it's total i can edit this part out um, if you don't want to, if you don't have time, but I give you a, a random adjective and a random noun. Okay. And then you create a piece of music and then record like three or five minutes of it and send it to me along with your, your audio. And I play it at the end. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. So let me pull up. I got a little patch challenge generator here. Um, I should have pulled this up earlier. So give me a second. And it takes a second sometimes. It gives it gives some weird combinations that are okay. a little. <laughs> so, um, what kind of mood are you feeling in, like music wise? Because I can select a mood. Hmm. Damn. I don't. Uh, why don't you? I, I, dealer's choice. I'll just leave it. I'll leave it to you. Okay. Because um, my mood fluctuates. I'm. You know. It's. 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 Well, I feel like rhythmic. I want to go rhythmic because you're a drummer, but is that on the nose? You know, is that too on the nose? No, not at all. I mean, that's okay. We could, yeah, that that could be one thing. Okay. 
All right, so I'm gonna scroll. <laughs> so this is why I'm not reading them all out because this this song like tunes. That's that's <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Diatonic patterns. Does that speak to you at all? Diatonic patterns. Okay, that's like pretty uh, focused enough. I think I could do something something cool. And you know what? Yeah, don't and don't go. You know, you don't have to follow it you know just basically if it just if it sparks something if it makes you think of anything you know just like it's more of just like a fun fun thing to to give be like hey make a piece of music for us um cool but yeah you can do this on your own time you know once we're done okay you can just kind of take take some time to make something and uh yeah and and thank you so much for your time it was so cool to uh to get to talk to you i'm really bummed that we our, our ship's ships in the night while i was in new york but but maybe next time next time yeah totally man and yeah thank thanks for inviting me and i hope that you know it, any of this is useful or what i've said or <laughs> oh know. yeah totally people love <laughs> this stuff man. this is absolutely all right let's check out costumes second patch challenge diatonic patterns that's our show thank you so much for coming back to podular modcast and thank you to all the sponsors patchworks don't forget to visit them online at patchworks.com p-a-t-c-h-w-e-r-k-s.com after later audio keep an eye out lots of cool stuff coming out this summer and also needham woodworks thank you for your continued support don't forget about the show september 4th at the south park hall in seattle washington also, thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. If you want to keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podular Modcast, please visit patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Until next week.